Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hey there, what's up? This is Drive-by Cinema, Season 4, Episode 24. <laughs> hey, hang on, I can hear something. Someone outside? Who's there? It's me, Paul, your co-host. My co-host, eh? Well, to step back off the porch, Paul, we're going to conduct <laughs> this podcast with you standing by your vehicle, okay? Not when you're coming any nearer my property. Let's get straight down to business. Have you got any corrections from previous weeks? No, I haven't for my co-host, Richard. Welcome, one and all. To be honest, I've got a whole list of corrections and additions. Are there, are there too many to really deal with? Is, have you become a, like, a hoarder of corrections? I've got a feeling that this film that we're going to do in a, in a short while, yeah. after the music, I, I think this film is uniquely related to a subject we keep putting off, which is, how does GPS work? Right, okay. It's not a subject I've been putting off, it's a subject you've been putting off, Richard. I mean, I'm quite happy not to know how GPS works. The way we should tackle how GPS works is by doing it at the different educational levels. Oh, explain to a five-year-old. Exactly. So how would you I, I don't believe in that theory, by the way. Oh, right. Well, let's not do it that way. If you no, do it that it. way. I, okay, it'd be but you'll just complain about it along the way. No, no. I just, I, <laughs> no, I, the general idea behind that is if you teach something, you'll learn it yourself, yeah. Yes, that's what I found with GPS in trying to think but, about how. I don't think I want to learn something to the level of a five-year-old. I don't believe there's... There's There's no insights to be gained. No, I I don't believe there's a connection between the levels of assimilation that a five-year-old, 11-year-old and an 18-year-old can understand. I don't believe they're connected in any way. Well, let's find out. How would you explain to a a room full of five-year-olds how GPS works? Yeah, and we're doing it now. Go. Right, okay. Your phone... Yeah, which your five-year-old has, of course, yeah. Has, or your mummy's phone... (laughs) Uh, always knows where it is. Because how? How, because Mr. Paul? Every piece of earth has a position <laughs> written on it and your phone can compare itself to that position. Right. Would you not just say, because there are satellites in the sky, too far away for us to see with What's the eye. satellite? I mean, obviously we're getting to... Okay. Well, maybe seven-year-olds then. Yeah, okay. I don't know. The phone can obviously see all these satellites and they tell it where it is. Is that fair? That's fair enough, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So let's go up a level. To 11-year-olds. Your phone has a receiver. Yes. It can receive radio waves. Is that fair enough? Right. So at that point, I, that's about, I'm, I'm kind of at that level at this point. So this is where I need somebody to educate me. I mean, you've already got the key thing is that a GPS device is a receiver, not a, a receiver, transmitter. Receiver, not a transmitter, correct. That's the important point. So here's the question, though. How, given that you know, or you can get these radio signals from satellites, how do you know? How does the phone work out from that where you are? Because it's Hotel California. We're all programmed to receive, Richard. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for saving me up on that one. How does it know? Well, it receives two differential signals and triangulates on the basis of that. Ah, so triangulate. Now, triangulation is a technique that, say, the Ordnance Survey use to map the country, don't they? Yeah. It uses trig points, which are known oh, points. Sounds like I've made a mistake here. Go on, but carry on. No, it's a word that's always used with navigation, and it's often used erroneously, unfortunately, for GPS. Because triangulation involves measuring angles, hence the name, triangulation, right? Yeah. You build triangles on the map from the trig points, and you measure it with 
compasses and theodolites and stuff, and you can measure the angles between your baseline and figure out the distances and stuff like that. If you've got two known points, you know the distance between, you can figure out where any other point is by triangulating it, right? And so, Richard... GPS doesn't use triangulation. It uses what we call trilateralization or trilateral trilateration okay let's do this on a on a 2d map so just unroll your 2d map of the place out i'm drawing it right now all we need is to measure your distance to a fixed point or several fixed points right you could for instance presumably easily find the distance to blackpool tower somehow yeah and then all you need to do is take your map and you put your compass on blackpool tower and you use the scale on the map to put the distance that you've worked out you are from the tower and draw a circle on the map around Blackpool Tower, and you know that you must be on that circle, right? So you've right. got one fixed point, one fix, as we will call it, and you've reduced your location uncertainty down from an infinity of locations on a 2D plane down to a, an infinity of points on a circle, on a one-dimensional line, which, if you think about it, is an amazing improvement in accuracy you've taken out an entire dimension and you're now on mm-hmm. a single line so well, it's curved line yeah a circle yeah so if you want to know where you are on that circle we get a second fix so i don't know you another hill winter hill or something wherever you get your tv from okay and then we get two intersecting two intersecting circles now how did two circles intersect well all the mountain weasels go and join the intersecting set and have a party there <laughs> They, they overlap Inside the at middle two of... points. They do. That's where the Mount Weasels live. <laughs> they on. overlap at two points. So again, we've yeah. gone down from an infinity of points on a circular line to two uh-huh. points, which is an amazing improvement in accuracy. But to know which of those two points you're at, we would need a third fix, measure your, your distance to a third location. A third circle would only go through one of those points. So the question is, how do they measure the distance for each of these three ah, points? Now, that's the next level. But I just want to point out what we've done so far. In two dimensions, you need three fixed points to nail it. But the next question is, when we go to three dimensions with satellites in space, how many fixed points do we need? So well, let's do it again. So Four. You're right, it is four. Two spheres. Two spheres intersect. The shape of the intersection of two spheres is a is it the little sweets that you put in your mouth and you get some candy. It's a circle, or... right? Fly saucer. Uh, oh. Two spheres oh, intersect in a circle. So we, so oh, you circle, reduce the problem down saucer. to another plane. Actually, it's just taking you one more fix to do it, and then a third sphere comes in. If you think about it, a third sphere interacts with a circle by with two points, so it's exactly analogous, and so you need an extra, a fourth fix. To nail it in three dimensions. And I guess that's probably true. I, I imagine this is a rule, right? However many dimensions you get, you need N plus one fixes to nail your position. So Richard has now explained it to a general of, uh, of either the arts or sciences. The next step is to explain it to a mathematician who we want to spend four and a half years proving <laughs> that two circles intersect to form a Two spheres intersect to form a circle. Okay, so but you asked the next obvious question, which is how do you work out the distance from a fixed yeah. point, like a satellite? How would you do it? How would you find your distance from a satellite? I ping, obviously. But we know that we're not transmitting. 
We can't. We, yeah, we can't wait for the. Just to be clear, why don't we? You could why, do why it that doesn't way GPS if you had a very expensive what? system of transmission. The reason GPS doesn't transmit was because it was a military system. The last thing you want to give uh-huh. your assets on the battlefield is a little transmitter that says, "Hello, I'm here." So you don't want them to transmit. You want them only to receive. So the way that they do it is stupid, really. Stupidly simple. When the satellite sends its signal out, it timestamps it. Cal- oh, time- and when you receive, when your device receives the signal, it measures yeah. the time delay that, that has occurred between the transmission and you picking it up and uses that to measure the distance. Problem, that does rely on your time being perfectly synchronised to the nanosecond with the one on the satellite, which we'll come back to in a moment. But that is certainly a problem. Oh, fucking hell. So it just does it by timing. The satellites all send out a signal with their time on it. That's how you work out the distance. And with four distances, you've nailed your position in 3D space. Right. I mean, satellites aren't very high up in the... I think they're about 20,000 kilometres, the GPS constellation. Oh, right. So about 0.1 seconds to reach the Earth. Now, the timings are critical, right? Because I, na- I think a nanosecond difference would be something like 100 metres of accuracy, something of that order. Mm-hmm. It's considerable, right? Fortunately, we can measure elapsed time more accurately than any other physical constant. But the problem is synchronising with the satellites. We can come back to that in a minute. The other problem you might raise, though, is when we were doing your 2D map, we talked about Blackpool Tower, which is a fixed place, and Winter Hill, which is a fixed place. The question is, on a satellite, a satellite is, by its essence, is moving. Yeah. How does... Our, our location from a moving satellite help us give us a, a fix where we are on the Earth. Richard, is, 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 have you got particularly <laughs> nothing to talk about this movie this week? Is that why we're doing this, this long exposition on on uh, GPS? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm presuming you've researched it, so we're going we're gonna to be told. I mean, I've got no idea. I mean, the simple answer is we know the orbits of the satellites. In fact, uh-huh. part of the broadcast from the satellite down to the phone is the ephemeris data the orbit, effectively, that tells you exactly where the satellite is. And combining that with a model of the Earth's surface, you can get your coordinates from from all of that stuff. What, you're saying your phone does hard maths? Yes. Furthermore, let's go to degree-level students, undergraduates. What do you think undergraduates are going to ask about this system? I I thought we'd just done undergraduates, Richard. Well, maybe master's students or postgrads. What they're going to ask is, I would imagine, what about special relativity? Surely these satellites are moving. Consequently, time dilation means their clocks are going slower, which is going to send the clocks out of whack with the ones down on the ground. Well, yeah, but they're moving in an ellipse, aren't they? So, Well, they're moving in a known orbit at a known speed. That's true. And then the next level of student is going to say, and what about general relativity? We're in a stronger gravitational field down on Earth than the satellites are. That would mean that the satellite's clock appear to us to be going faster. So we've got two competing variances on the satellite clocks, mm-hmm. as they would appear to us on Earth. In fact, the general relativistic one, the gravitational one, dominates and moves the, moves the clocks by about 35 nanoseconds, I think, a day, or something of that order. Okay. And the answer to this, though, is because they're at a fixed height and because they're moving at the same speed, I think they've just set all of the GPS clocks to run a set amount slower than they would if they were stationary down on Earth 
And that compensates for the relativistic effects. But the fact that they have to do that is quite amazing, right? Well, that was a nice deep dive into GPS. I do feel more illuminated than I was previously. Maybe it will come up in this uh, movie discussion, Paul. I don't Which we have nothing to talk think? about, yeah. So only 40 minutes to go, peeps. <laughs> Following this music, is that right? That's right. But what is the name of this week's movie? This week's movie is called Leave the World Behind, bracket film, close bracket. Oh, no, sorry, Leave the World Behind. That's right. Seems like you're cheating, possibly reading it off <laughs> possibly a Possibly reading from a screen. <laughs> no, I was just joking. Uh, yeah, from 2023, it's, it stars Julia Roberts, of all people, and other famous people, too. And Ethan Hawke. Who we've seen previously in what was billed as the scariest movie in the world. And Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and Kevin Bacon. Who we've seen previously in... EE adverts or whatever, or three adverts. Well, I was going to say, have you ever played the Kevin Bacon game back in the 80s? What, the degrees of Kevin Bacon? Or yes, degrees of Kevin Bacon. Presumably you have done. What do you mean, played it? How do you play the game? I mean, it's, I know it's, it's a, a game! Explain, the, explain how the game plays out, then. Okay, I name an actor, and then right. we as a group have to get to the actor from starting from Kevin Bacon. It's as few steps as possible. Okay. Or maybe. Get from the actor to Kevin Bacon. I, I, I don't know if there's any particular about which direction you go. How did this film come about, Paul? Do you know? No, I don't. But please inform me. It, it's from a book, isn't it? It is from a book, yeah, yeah. Which I haven't read, uh, but I'd like to actually having watched, watched the film. By, do you know who it's by? Mr. Allen or something? Alam. Ru- oh, Alam. Ruman. Ruman. Alam. Okay. It's directed and co-written by Sam Esmail, who... Of course, we know as the showrunner, whatever that word means, for Mr. Robot. (laughs) Mr. Robot, remind me about Mr. Robot. It's a TV show. Oh, Mr. Robot is... So, in TV and movies, cyber and hacking normally are depicted quite poorly. Right. With an extraordinary amount of artistic license, inaccuracy, etc. I suppose, on one level, doing stuff on computers is not very cinematic, is it? So it's often depicted in an exaggerated or inaccurate fashion. But hacking particularly often suffers from people who don't seem to know anything about it trying to write for it. Uh I'm stealing this bit. I don't know who from. This is plagiarism in some senses. It's also just how society works, isn't it? We hear ideas, we repeat them, they get extended. That's just life. I was hearing someone say, quite often when you see hacking... One of the things that you'll see, a sort of trope, is you'll see a series of boxes for the letters of a password. And you'll see the first box will be like rifling through lots of letters and numbers. And then it will lock in and go red. And then it will move on to the second one until it gets the second letter right. Almost like they're breaking a barrel combination lock. Yes, that's right. Of course, which would be a completely insane way to program password input on any system. That's the kind of thing that you see for hacking, isn't it, all the time? Well, Mr. Robot is the exception in that I think it's generally regarded as quite a good on-screen representation of how hacking and stuff works, which might explain some of the elements of this film we're going to discuss, perhaps, and Uh the way that it's being done. You've not heard of Mr. Robot, obviously. You've obviously not watched it. No. I'm binging something in the middle. I'm in the middle of binging something on Netflix, and I'm kind of like... What, what, What are you watching on Netflix? On Netflix at the moment, I'm watching is it Louder Milk. 
Louder Milk. Louder Milk about a sort of dysfunctional New York, or is it Boston? I'm not quite sure, never even mentioned where it's from. Alcohol and alcohol and drugs counsellor. Okay. Very, okay. Very good. I recommend it. I watched the ITV show about the sub postmasters being Oh yeah, I think everybody's watched that. Yeah. Oh you've watched that too. Okay. Oh. I mean ITV <laughs> just, you know, spent 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 ten years producing nothing but pap and then they come out with with, <laughs> with this amazing uh, show so well done. Impactful ITV. social yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Moving as well, I found it. Mm. Okay, so let's get back to Leave the World Behind, which we've barely even started on. Paul, how does it start? Right, we get Julia Roberts arriving, or sorry, organising a kind of Airbnb break for her family because Ethan Hawke, her husband, I don't know what his name is, Clay, is that right? Clay. Clay. Her name is Amanda, Julia Roberts' uh, character is Amanda. They're kind of, they're going through, not a rough patch, but they're kind of not feeling it. And the best thing they could do particularly as Amanda hates all people, is go into the forest to a gorgeous Airbnb with their children. The two it's children. on the beach, isn't it, actually? It's somewhere on the East Coast, some somewhere near to New York, I think, isn't it? Yeah, but I think it's just set behind the beach, isn't it? Because like, there's a whole... Or is it? Yeah, there? sure, sure. But it's clo- it's very close to the beach. Very close, I, yeah. I believe. But then the forest backs onto it, am I right in thinking that? She describes it on the phone to whoever she's telling... She describes it as a hamlet. That's how cute it is. Right, okay. But it's a gorgeous kind of... I can't quite remember what period the, the, the home is. Is it traditional or is it modern? It's pretty modern. It's modern. Inside. It's very modern. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous modern. in any case. It's got a swimming pool, extensive gardens, backs onto nature and the forest and that kind of thing. And so they rock up in... Well, they've their... got two kids, haven't they? Yes. They've got a teenage son, mm-hmm. the slightly older one, who's a sort of like a sort of pound shop Timothy Chalamet. Uh, <laughs> I like these. New, I like your new somewhat condescending uh, jokey phrases for people. You had it last week, Richard, or the week before. I can't remember what it was. He's played by Charlie Evans. That's the actor's name. And it's right. no shade to him, but it looks like the casting director had Timothy Chalamet in mind, and then they chose someone who looked very much like him. But he's mm-hmm. very good in, in his own right. He's got a young assistant, not much younger, about thirteen, I think. She's described to be. She's called Rose, right? Who, in some ways is the realist member of this entire family. And Rose's interest, just like you, is binging her TV show. Except she's binging the entirety of Friends. That's her aim at the moment. It's weird. It? Yeah, it is a bit weird. But she's watching it in the car as they drive down there on her iPad. They pull up to this, as you say, amazing modernist house. We get a part one, actually, about the house, don't we? As they go around looking looking at it. The kids jump in the pool at the back. Clay finds a locked booze cabinet with loads of nice spirits in it. Amanda is struggling with the very long Wi-Fi password, which she concludes must mean that the owner of the Airbnb is a cybersecurity expert. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda works in advertising and she hates people. Okay, that's she's a misanthrope. Yeah. Oh, on the way there, there's an important—well, not important, but not even critical—but we see Kevin Bacon at the petrol station. uh, Oh, they haven't been there yet. We haven't been there. Have they not? No, they've just got to the house. Then they go shopping to do groceries. That's right, they stock up. And that's why they see Kevin Bacon, isn't it? They see Kevin Bacon piling trays of water into his pickup truck. You know, bottles of water. We're thinking, what, doomsdayer, survivalist, hoarder, prepper. prepper. Looks like a prepper. He's got a lumberjack plaid shirt and a baseball cap on and a pickup truck. It's not a MAGA hat, is it? He's hoarding water in the back of his truck. Off he goes. Speaking of MAGA... Did you hear Trump weigh in on his bit of 
physics tuition this week. No. He's telling people about magnets. Really? Just to set the context, he was talking about some planned upgrade or defence department contract for some kind of electromagnetic lift on a US aircraft carrier. Maybe it was a catapult system, I don't know. But anyway, apparently this procurement exercise had not gone well or it had been over, overspent or something. They couldn't get it to work. Trump was explaining this to his MAGA faithful. You can see the video of him saying this. I don't know much about magnets. What I know about a magnet is, give me a glass of water. I dump the water on the magnet. No more magnet. (laughs) (laughs) We laugh, but he's running neck and neck in the polls. So that should be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. He's going to go to jail, though, isn't he? Not if he's president. He's not. No, no. It's a race against time to get him in there, isn't it? I mean, you've seen the court case where his lawyer says that the president. I'm not a lawyer, by the way. Don't take legal advice from me. But I would say if you're representing someone in a trial and the judge asks you, so by your argument, you should be able to order an assassination of a political opponent and be immune from prosecution. The answer should that, without hesitation, should be a blanket no. <laughs> <laughs> But his lawyer goes, you know, yes with an if, no with a but kind of, yeah. Sure. If he gets impeached, you can you can send him to trial. Sure. <laughs> the thing about that argument is if that argument prevails, if you should be immune from prosecution for ordering the assassination of your political opponents, they should be a bit worried about Biden because he can just order Trump's assassination, can't he? I'd be, I'd be worried. I think a compromise is in order. When you become president, you just you should just get one free assassination, no questions asked. There you go. I mean, presumably Biden would have done Trump by now, so we wouldn't have to worry about this stuff. The beach is a great place to assassinate somebody. There's a Cure song, isn't there? Killing that, killing an Arab. First of all, why is the beach a great place? It's and flat. Secondly, People can't run away. You know, you can just <laughs> duck shoot them, can't you? But the I best way to kill so. somebody at the beach is not to run aground a huge ship and crush them. Ah. Which is what happens next in the movie. They're all sitting on the beach and Rose spots a boat, doesn't mm-hmm. she? It's getting... This is supposed to be, I think, like a hook for the whole movie. This is supposed to be a deeply trippy kind of thing they can show on a trailer, isn't it? Well, it is exactly what they're showing on the trailer, isn't mm-hmm. it? So this ship, I say boat, we're talking about an ocean-going cargo vessel, aren't we? It's getting closer and closer. Kai thinks it's an oil tanker. There's a montage, obviously, a little passage of time, but not long... They're sunbathing and doing beach stuff. And then Rose is convinced it's heading towards them. And it kind of starts running up on the beach. Quite a dramatic scene, right? Mm. So it rises up on the beach, casting loads of sand and stuff up. People are having to scatter and it's going directly for the Sandfords. That's the name of the family, isn't it? Wow, could it be the, could be the GPS? It's not working. That's what the policeman says later, doesn't he? says the navigation That's why we've got the GPS, stops. yeah. Exactly. By the way, this ship is called the White Lion. Ah. Which is a significant a significant name because I think it was one of or the first like slave ship to carry black slaves to the Americas. I see. Bringing in some of the racial themes that we'll see later, right? Anyway, the thing is, even if GPS didn't work or stop working, I'm sure your average ship captain would not at that point just simply let the vessel <laughs> plough directly into a spit of land. Surely, notwithstanding that it does take a while for an oil tanker to stop, but surely they would see something was going amiss earlier and take manual control effectively, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? 
Unless they've all been zapped out and they're lying on the floor unconscious. So your theory... I guess we won't know. I mean, I know they're talking about automatic ocean-going vessels, like drone vessels for cargo, Uh but I don't think we're there yet. No, we're not, no. Okay, so they've picked up some of their belongings and maybe left some of the belongings on the beach. They go home and then we get trippy deer, don't we? Huh. Also, the Wi-Fi isn't working. Oh, yeah, the Wi-Fi. Also, the TV is out. Now, the TV is out in an interesting way in this house because several times, I think, you see something which I haven't seen on a TV for a long time, which is... You can get it from a modern TV, can you? No, you can't because digital TVs... If there's no signal, it would just be blue, wouldn't it? They know when they're tuned in and when they're not tuned in. Mm-hmm. And they don't display just noise on the bits in between the channels. This is a bit of Hollywood stuff, isn't it? Someone writing or doing the production design for this film remembers when you got snow on your TV and decided to put it on this huge digital flat screen. Anyway, the ship and the pair of deer that are just staring trippily at the, the family later on. But essentially, they're signifiers that the, the movie's going to bend our minds, isn't it? There is something weird going on, certainly, with the with the animals. Which, again, is another thing I'm not quite sure about with this film. In the evening, we get a montage of them doing stuff. Amanda and Clay are playing Jenga, which is what you do when there's no television, I guess. And they hear something outside. Amanda thinks she hears something outside. So Clay grabs a heavy ornament. They wind up going to the door with a knock at the door. Mm-hmm. They open the door. There's two people outside, played by I wrote this Mahashala, Mahashala Ali. Yes, Mr. Ali. And his, what we learn is his daughter. So what's his name, though? G... George. George. He calls himself G.H. or something, doesn't he? Okay. Is that is that right? Uh, his daughter is acted by... His, his daughter, Ruth, played by Mahalala, I think she's called. That's right. Who we saw in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Yes. But they're standing there and they're dressed. He's dressed in a tux and she's dressed in a, like an evening gown. It's obvious they're back from, the, from either the theatre or, or some such, yeah? Yeah, apparently they were at the Philharmonic or something, which I think he's the patron of, he says. That's right. He apparently is the owner who has let this house out, his like holiday home out on Airbnb or whatever. But he's been emailing Amanda, hasn't he, about the, the home rental. But the emails are not going through. Now, this I think is where some of the subtle comedy of the movie starts to take form. Like, Amanda's really suspicious, but she doesn't want to be seen as being suspicious on racist grounds. Yeah, yeah. she's thinking, here they are in the middle of nowhere, these people, strangers, ostensibly strangers, have turned up, saying they own the house, which would be bold, actually, for, for any kind of... Well, this is it, you see. But you can't... I mean, I mean, normally you'd say, well, wait a minute, what are you turning up? You just rented it to me. Well, she does say this, but... Like, her husband's kind of more inclined to believe them, isn't he? Clay is, yep, he's welcoming. He's saying, of course, you should come in. They're explaining that while they were driving home from the Philharmonic, from the concert hall or whatever, there was a power cut in the city. GH decided that it would be safer for them to go to the holiday home out of the city because New York under a power cut, all the lights would be out. It has happened, hasn't it? It's been potentially quite dangerous to be around. So we thought it would be safer to come out into the country and stay here instead. In fact, part of his excuse was that because he lives on the 14th floor, if the lift was out because of the power cut, he didn't want to have to climb 14 floors with his bad knee. But Amanda doesn't seem to totally believe these stories. No. She is sus of this. She becomes progressively more straightforward about how she's not going to let them stay. Yeah. She's not comfortable about them staying. GH is suggesting that he and his daughter take the 
what he calls the in-law flat, which is the <laughs> an extra kind of house in the basement. And he goes some way to proving that he is the owner by opening up a cabinet full of expensive liquor, is that right? He gets out some spirits, offers them, I think he offers them a drink as well. But he's also offering to pay them back money for the inconvenience for having to put them Yeah, but not 100% up. strangely. It's like 85% or something like that. They are still staying there, Paul. It seems fair enough. It's not fucking fair at all. Well, he pulls out an envelope of $1,000, which is important because it comes up later. Oh, and he right. does so. There's also a handgun in the drawer of the liquor cabinet that we see, but maybe Amanda and Clay don't see. But he hands Clay... $1,000 for their trouble kind of thing. So by the by, Amanda is brought round on mollified to the idea that they're going to stay, but not before Ruth, the daughter, has essentially called her a racist, yeah? Ruth, the daughter's right onto Amanda's clear prejudice, isn't she? Mm-hmm. GH explains that his wife is away on a work trip in Morocco due back on a flight tomorrow. Because the network, the cell networks are down, he's not able to communicate with his wife. Amanda has asked to see his ID, but apparently he's left his coat at the coat check at the concert hall. Yeah, nothing really adds up, does it? I mean, if, if I was Amanda and I was in a mindset, this would be triggering me right now. <laughs> Ruth was put on the TV, and now instead of static, they're getting one of the blue emergency broadcast screens that we've seen in another film, actually, another one of those global disaster films. There's a whole slew of this of this kind of trope on YouTube, isn't it, where, where people prank their relatives by playing this on the TV. <laughs> really? Well, I'm going to have to go and watch those now. Nuclear countdown sort of, sort of <laughs> announcements, yeah. Some of them are quite good. Some of them, obviously, towards the end became staged, I think, but the first one's original. Yeah. People panicking about a nuclear holocaust. Yeah, it's quite funny to watch. Now, Amanda and GH are talking about the fact that it's a blackout. It's just a blackout. But Ruth says a blackout is not nothing. It could be a symptom of something else. Yeah, which is either Ruth knowing her stuff or Ruth being gobby. And Ruth is quite gobby, isn't she? She is, if you like, a little bit brattish. Would you agree? Oh, definitely, yeah. She, yeah. She's a teenager herself, but she's older than the, uh, the Sanford kids, isn't she? And clearly? she's highly privileged. So it's quite a firework combination, isn't it, those things? They've turned away from the television. And I think we see... The TV briefly switches to a news report. Ah. They don't notice this, I think. Neither do And there's like a bulletin with a graphic that says something like cyber attack on the whole of US or something. And then it goes back to static. Okay. Now it's part two of the film. We get another title screen thing that says The Curve. Somewhat portentously. Uh, yeah. The Curve is the subtitle. Is it the next morning? It's the next morning. And Rose is complaining that there's no internet. So... I think she's got to the Friends finale, season 10, I think. I was amazed to learn, if that's true. Did you ever get that far? I was amazed to learn that Friends is only 10 seasons, to be honest. It seems like it's it was... quite long like seasons, though, aren't they? I'm just looking at Friends here. 2004 it finished, I didn't realise that. It's a long time ago, isn't it? 20 it years. It got 52.5 million live viewers, non-time-shifted viewers. That's incredible. In the US alone. Wow. And is it 10 seasons? Is that? It is 10 is seasons, well done, Rich. Well, I got it from this film. I didn't know that. I'm surprised. 240 or so episodes. So, yeah, about 24 in each run. Wow. So it's on the half a year for each of 10 years. So pretty ubiquitous at the time, I would imagine. In the morning, because Rose is complaining about the TV, at some point, Clay says maybe they can go and get some rabbit ears to help with TV reception. And Rose says, how would rabbit ears help? Which is a great question. <laughs> 
Amanda has briefly got a connection on her phone, on her cell phone, and oh. the news headlines were all about hackers. But then she loses connection. She can't get the information anymore. But I think she mentions it, doesn't she, to GH later. Uh-huh. Are the kids at some point chilling by the pool? Yeah, and Rose encounters multiple deer coming through the hedge. Everyone else is oblivious. They're doing something else. Loads of these deer come and kind of stare at her, aren't they, weirdly. So we're being keen into the fact that Rose is just tuned into reality a bit more than the rest of them, yeah? Kai has gone into town to try and get a newspaper that might have more information. And GH plans to visit his next-door neighbour, the Huxleys. Now, this is next-door neighbour in a very kind of... Hampton's kind of way. Yeah, yeah, so it's presumably several miles down the road. (laughs) (laughs) In a very, very Hampton's kind of way. Like, these are massive properties, yeah. He has briefly discussed hacking and stuff with Amanda and his daughter. He's talking about the Love You bug in 2000, a worm that was released in 2000 and spread via email, took down loads and loads of systems. It was just two teens in the Philippines mucking around, apparently. There were attacks that were picked, that were detected, that interestingly targeted centrifuges that enrich uranium, right? Wow. My recollection, I'm doing this at the top of my head. So they found this code that can specifically find the control systems that control those centrifuges and mess them up. If you work in a facility that's enriching uranium or a a nuclear power station or any similar facility, your control computers should very much not be on the internet. They'd be air-gapped, as the security terminology would put it. So they're not online. You can't expect to email them or them to be connecting to web servers or anything like that. What these kind of worms did, so they were very promiscuous about how they could spread. And the theory is that what you do is you put them on a USB drive and you leave them around or put them somewhere or leave them in a Starbucks near the installation. And then a worker would pick this up and maybe curious... It's almost impossible not to be curious about a USB stick you find, I guess. (laughs) If they put it at any stage into one of their work computers, even though it might not be connected to the internet, you've now got it on the internal network and the worm spreads and stuff. I think they believe it was maybe targeting Iranian enrichment processes, maybe Israeli behind it. But, I mean, there are many, like, governmental sort of state actor kind of hackers that are doing these kind of attacks all the time, all the time. The North Koreans, for instance, a lot of ransomware where it encrypts all your files and says, Mm -hmm. send Bitcoin. Quite a lot of those Bitcoins end up in North Korea. That's how one of the few ways they have of generating income overseas because of the embargoes and sanctions. It's thought ransomware is one of the major funding mechanisms for North Korea. And what does he go and spend it on? Basketball players and uh, theme parks. There you go. <laughs> theme parks? Oh, he loves a theme park, yeah. <laughs> he's, I think he's opened several, but he, he kind of had a, a, a bit of an angry bout when perhaps one of them wasn't as good as he was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of themes do the theme parks have? Is it all, you know, the good of the, the party? and uh, Yeah, oh. and slightly washed out pastel colours, I think. <laughs> Uh, where are we? The middle of we're in the middle of part, part Act Two, aren't we? Middle of Act Two, yeah. And Clay's car, although it works perfectly fine, his GPS is not working. Uh-huh. So we know that GPS is down. He, he is lost. 
as a consequence. He's driving up and down. He doesn't know this area. The radio briefly comes to life. It's talking about impact on animal migration patterns. Again, I'm not sure how this fits into the rest of the narrative, but there we go. The deer, maybe? <laughs> it's supposed to explain the deer, but why are the deer affected? I don't understand that. Well, presumably it must be some, there must be an element of electromagnetic attack, wasn't there? Or, or, but that affects deer? Or why, sound, what, sound attack. Why are deer affected by electromagnetic well, attack? Well, all animals have got a much stronger magnetic sort of steering mechanism in their head than we, than we have. Okay, but plausible, no. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm helping the movie along here. I don't know. I mean, it's not really explained, is it? We just... I see you're bought into it fully, Paul. Well done. He meets a Spanish woman at the side of the road, the yeah. only person he's seen. She kind of waves him down, but she's speaking entirely in Spanish. I guess she's Mexican, isn't she? I say Spanish, but I guess she's Mexican. But he he can't communicate with her. He doesn't know what she's saying. I think, even in my rudimentary understanding of Spanish, I think she's saying something about a plane crashing. Right. She says something about avi- avio something. And she wants help. I think she, she asks for help. But Clay doesn't understand a word she's saying. He ends up driving away because she's somewhat agitated, isn't she? And he drives away, probably feeling guilty about it. Meanwhile, G.H. has arrived at his neighbours, the Huxleys, to find the place is somewhat in disarray, kind of debris knocking around. I think a window might be broken. Doesn't seem to be anyone there, anyway. He goes in the house, finds it's a bit kind of wet. The carpet is wet. He grabs a satellite phone that he obviously knew the Huxleys had, switches it on, but there's no signal. It doesn't work. Then he goes around the back of the house... Which And this house really does back onto the coast, doesn't it? There's like a little sand yeah. dune, and then you're on the beach. And what does he find, Paul? Does he find another ship? <laughs> <laughs> I don't Paul, know. Had the, Paul had the deer in the headlights look of somebody who doesn't know what the hell he's being asked. He, he finds a crashed plane. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's a crashed plane, yeah. Yeah. There's loads of bodies. He finds a body part, so he finds someone's arm. Yeah, it's quite gruesome, isn't it? He finds lots of bodies, then the camera kind of pulls back, and we see the wreckage of a plane. And as he's looking at the beach, we hear the whine of plane engines, and another plane seems to be descending rapidly towards the same location. Again, I suppose we're supposed to think they've meddled with the navigation systems, and so maybe all the planes think this is the runway threshold or something. But once again, just like with the ship, I think a pilot... We'll be able to see that, yeah. Yeah, on observing that the autopilot was taking him not to the airport, not to the runway, would disconnect the autopilot. It didn't totally win me over this bit, though. GH runs away. George runs away from this crashing plane. He gets sort of just far enough away. Plane crashes down into the shallow water, doesn't it? And a huge wave of water splashes over him. He winds up going back home, doesn't he? Meanwhile, what's Clay seeing, Paul? I don't know. As he's driving down the road, he sees a plane coming. Oh, that's right. Okay, so there are planes sort of overhead. But they're not crashing, are they? (laughs) Paul has no clue about this part of the movie. (laughs) He sees a plane flying toward him, and it's dropping a sort of cloud of red stuff. Which are leaflets. There we go. They are leaflets, yeah. yeah. He turns around, he drives away. We We go back to the house, don't we, to see what's happening. Yeah. So the kids are out by the swimming pool, is that right? They jump out of the pool, and Rose wants to go into the forest to try and see what all these deer are doing. Her brother... What's her brother's name, by the way? Archie. Uh, Archie, yeah. Decides to go along. I don't know why. He follows his sister. He gets bitten by a tick, Mm -hmm. which is bad, isn't it? You can get all kinds of diseases from those things. Lyme disease, I think, is all that, isn't it? 
they come back. They, I think they find a shed. They see another house, another neighbour, way through the forest. And back at home, GH is explaining why he's all wet. And he says he fell into the pool. Because he doesn't want to tell his daughter that planes are now routinely falling out of the sky, given that his wife is on, on a flight, right? That's, the, that's his motivation for not being honest about it. And that's when he explains to Amanda something about market movements and learning how to read the curve, isn't it? Yes. This is how he knew something bad was coming, because he'd seen movements in the stock market, right? Yeah, this is, this is the first time I mentioned this. Later on, we get inside information from him about what one of his big clients has said in the previous week. But that's to come later in the movie. Yeah. yeah, that's right. He seems to know someone who's sort of like Bilderberg group level or someone would describe him as Illuminati level if that existed. Crypto cabal. Yeah. Don't we at this point get what might or might not be a sonic attack? They hear some loud bangs and then a piercing screech, which actually cracks the window pane. And obviously wow. they're all holding their ears as well. And then we get a caption saying part three, the noise. I see. G.H., his daughter, I think the kids are back, having the heated discussion about what's happening. And during this discussion, Amanda lets slip accidentally in front of Ruth, the daughter, about the planes crashing. Wow. Which pisses off G.H., obviously, because uh, she's obviously very upset by this news. And Amanda, though, she remembers seeing Kevin Bacon (laughs) in, like, the supermarket (laughs) car park, parking lot, shall we say, with all the bottles of water... G.H. knows immediately that that's Daddy, his contractor guy. Presumably got got him to do some work on the house or something. He says he's a prepper or a survivalist kind of thing. But more than that, he knows that Danny might have the keys to his neighbour's house because Danny's been doing some work on it. Is that right? Oh, is that true? I I think we learn that later, don't we? We do, yeah. yeah. Claire's got back. He finds a leaflet that was... He shows them one of the leaflets that was dropped on his car and he gives it to these guys... It looks like Arabic writing. And Archie, who's a computer fiend, has been playing a game. Not sure which game it was. I think he mentions it. Be Call of Duty or something. Call of Duty, it, in which this is scrawled as graffiti on one of the walls of the, of the world that he's playing. It means death to America, apparently. Death to America. I think that's the tagline of the Houthis, that the Americans are currently bombing in Yemen, actually. Wow. But yeah, that's right. Uh, the Sanfords now, Amanda Clay. Well, they realise the shit has hit the fan, don't they? Yeah, Finally. they're serious. And they're packing up. The plan is to go to Amanda's sister in New Jersey. But GH is saying, no, look, you can't go back to the city. They're saying, we're going to our sisters. Yeah, but New Jersey will have to go through the city. That's not good. Ruth, meanwhile, his daughter is trying to get rid of them. She's encouraging them to go. <laughs> Let them go, Dad. But they drive away anyway. I like the next scene. This next scene is great, isn't it? It's really good. They hear sirens at some point, but then they see up ahead loads of... They're Teslas. Well, loads of cars, right, blocking the way. They do turn out to be Teslas, all white. It, it looks like a bad mouth to, uh, at, at uh, Elon Musk, but actually other cars turn up at the end, so it's not just Teslas at the end. All of these Teslas, two lanes of traffic on the road that they're in, that they're on. It's just a total logjam, isn't it? All yeah. Stretching off to the horizon. And they pull up their car to stop to see what's going on. And they see, when they get closer, that actually they've all crashed into one another. 
and they're all brand new. They're all sticker fresh. They've got a sticker on the windscreen. Off the driving uh, off the off the, uh, off the off the lot, yeah. And then in the wing mirror, what do they see? They see more of these Teslas approaching, coming down speed. the road at them. And Amanda yeah. realizes all of these Teslas have got full self-drive capability. Yeah. And it clicks immediately. She turns around, tells Clay to get out of the way of the road, get off the road. So they jump back in their car just in time. And get an entertaining action sequence, yeah. I thought it was really well done. Brilliantly done. Eight Teslas, I think, pass them sort of head on and all crash into this mounting pileup. Interestingly, when Musk saw this, he tweeted about it. All right. You gotta love this. He said, Teslas can charge from solar panels even if the world goes fully Mad Max and there's no more gasoline. (laughs) (laughs) Way to miss the point, Musk. (laughs) But the idea is that these Teslas have been hacked, right? Yeah. Because they're full self-drive, someone can deploy worms or and hack them and make them drive and block the roads. That's the whole point about this bit, isn't it? And why? That's the detective where Richard's done. So what you're telling me is this must have been some sort of cyber attack, yeah? Yeah. The conclusion is they can't really get out of here. All the roads have been blocked. They go back to the, the house. Tail between legs, yeah. Now, interesting, GH doesn't say, right, well, you're sleeping in the uh, in the guest room now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they they wind up going back to status quo, don't they? We get another title sequence. This is part four, Flood. Yeah. Archie is getting ill. It must be the next day, I guess. In fact, I think he tried to look at candid pictures he'd taken of Ruth in the bikini, but he was unable to concentrate and he wasn't able to wank over them. Okay, so we've had a whole evening where either people have got stoned or people have nearly got off with each other. And Archie's nearly had a wank, yeah. Now, Clay and Ruth go outside to vape together, don't they? That's right. And Ruth is sharing her, whatever it is, her her. her but Ruth's vape, vape isn't just a vape, it's a devil's broccoli vape. So. <laughs> Amanda and GH are getting drunk together. And this is where, as you say, GH reveals he had a, this famous client who was high up, defence contracts and stuff, called him out of the blue to move all of his money out of his current assets, said Eve's going away for a while, and was very serious with him, and normally apparently very pally and jokey. And he knew, he knew it was completely different because he said one thing at the end, which was good luck, which he never take says. Take care of or yourself, care, he good said. Luck, whatever, yeah. And it was the mood switch that shook him. He said, the scary thing is that no one is in control, no one is pulling the strings. Even if you're super rich, super powerful, the best you can hope for is just a bit of notice, that's all. And hunker down, yeah. So Amanda and GH almost get off with each other, don't they? Okay, we get another bit of humor. Well, he shows her his vinyl collection, doesn't he? Yeah, and this is very humorous because we get some middle-aged white woman dancing to black music. He's going to put some jazz on, but she, she finds Ruth's puts... section of the vinyl collection, which is like hip-hop. Suitably uh, retro, hip-hop, yeah. But, uh, oh, it's R&B, isn't it, actually, I think? Yes, but suitably <laughs> retro, so mid-90s, would you say? So like that? I guess it's Friends era, isn't it, probably? But she puts that on the gramophone. They have a bit of a dance, and then they, they have a bit of a hug, don't they? Yeah. But then the noise happens again. More glass cracks. Light bulbs pop. We see in the evening, all the Sanfords now are sort of sleeping in the same master bed upstairs. And there's a shot at this point. I don't know if you noticed this. I'm not quite sure why there's a shot like this. It's showing the Earth from the moon. And they're at one of the landing sites, and you see an American flag stuck in the moon. It's sort of the camera is panning back or pulling back, isn't it? You yeah. see the flag come into view. 
Of course, as we know, the American flags they land, they left on the moon are all now bleached white. So it wouldn't look like an American flag anymore, would it? What? But in the morning, then, after this, after this evening, Archie is still quite ill. Although his fever has gone down, his front teeth start coming out. He kind, of put, put, he kind of feels them and pulls them out as they break, doesn't he? It's just quite a traumatic scene for anybody that had, had tooth pain. So they know that he's badly ill. We now get the, the final title sequence, part five, the last one, which, of course, is the name of the last Friends episode, the finale. Uh-huh. They're assessing Archie's state of health. Someone suggests Lyme disease, as you said. GH suggests that they go to Danny, the contractor, the survivalist prepper guy, because he might have some stuff. He's probably got some antibiotics or something, hasn't he? So everything's coming to pieces because Rose has gone missing whilst GH and Clay, Ethan Hawke's character, take Archie over in in, uh, GH's car to visit Danny, yeah? Whilst Amanda and Ruth are going to hunt for Rose and they go out into the forest where they'd seen her go. In fact, I think they figure out she's taken a bike, so they're trying to find bike tracks, aren't they? Amanda and Rose have a bit of a reconciliation moment in the shed that exists in the forest. Well, the world is ending, isn't it? <laughs> Suddenly, as Amanda runs off seeing bike tracks, loads of deer come out, don't they? And surround Ruth. That's right, shed. yes. But Amanda manages to scare away the deer like she scares away people. <laughs> yes, she faces off the big stag that's coming out, yeah. At Danny the Survivalist's house, Kevin Bacon's house, Danny's in full paranoid prepper mode. He immediately gets his shotgun, points it at them, doesn't he? He blames Archie's illness on Havana syndrome. Just something you've mentioned before, Paul, isn't it? Yeah, that's a microwave weapon. Well, that's what people say it was. But there's well, no yeah, real in evidence. Cuba, well, I mean, in Cuba, the staff of the US Embassy suddenly started having fainting jags, but also hearing marbles dropping on the floor. They started complaining of a series of disparate symptoms. Auditory hallucinations and, and headaches. Headaches and faintness, yeah. Yeah. Other stuff too, presumably. I don't know the details. Which some people ascribed to some kind of covert weapon. Some suggested a microwave beam or something. Then it happened again in the Chinese, sorry, in the US consulate in China about 2000 and, I don't know, 2015, 2016. But I think a better explanation is basically conversion syndrome, really, is that it's psychological effect that people probably, especially people who have just travelled to be at a foreign embassy, maybe feeling a bit peaky, different food, different water, climate might be different. Someone ascribes that to some kind of secret weapon and then everyone else goes, oh, yeah, I feel a bit funny too. And the tale grows in the telling. It becomes a shared kind of narrative, a shared hallucination almost, uh-huh. of these symptoms. I don't think there's any really good evidence that this is a real weapon effect, Paul. No, I, I didn't say it was. I, mean, I don't think, did I? Danny also says he assumes it must be a war because he heard that the Russians recalled their staff from Washington. Right. Uh, but he refuses to give them any medicine. He says you should go to the Thorns house because they've got a bunker. They probably have some supplies in there. Sorry, microwave weapons. Don't they use something similar in Cars 2? What do you to mean? Stop Lightning McQueen. They Lightning do. McQueen? Yeah, Cars 2, you know, the kids' movie. <laughs> they, use a, they use a microwave beam to blow up the cars in the race, yeah. Or is it Cars 3? I can't remember. I'm not seeing the cars. You're joking! I think I've seen Cars 1. I think I've seen Cars. I don't like Disney movies, Paul. Oh, okay. 
Am I missing out? Is that what you're telling me? Should it's if you like kids animated movies, and I'm not suggesting you should like them, but it's it's one of the best. Yeah. Are you suggesting we should put it on the list of movies? Absolutely not. No. No. <laughs> no. I think it is possible. You're right. I think it is possible to have some kind of ele- electromagnetic weapon that can disable. A vehicle engine, I've heard that, yeah. Oh. Presumably we have to get pretty close. I well, in imagine. cars, they just blow up. So. Ooh, well, that, that sounds... Just heats up, it, it sort of, it heats up the car to an incredible degree and it sort of booms and explodes. Good grief. Well, they're living things, you know. They're actually living cartoon beings, the cars, so it's painful to watch. Yeah, it's a bit much for a kid's show, isn't it? it to be is. blowing yeah. these people up, as it were. Danny has refused to give them medicine for Archie. But he eventually, after some persuasion, agrees to sell them, sell them pills for $1,000, which Clay hands over. And they have a discussion, don't they? He says he reckons it's Koreans behind it all. Yeah. But then Clay shows him the Arabic leaflet. And Kevin Bacon says, yeah, well, we made a lot of enemies around the world. Here's the thing, though. Do we understand who is supposed to be behind this attack? No. Are we supposed to believe that it is a an axis of different states acting no. simultaneously. And think, why, anyway? I think we're supposed to assume it's enemy from within, they're, and they're, they're, they're making out that it's... Given the media shutdown... It's a false out. flag. It's, it's a, a false, false flag. flag yeah. So it's a reset and a repopulation, or, or a reset to zero, of, or near to zero of the population, I think, is, all, is what, how we're supposed to take it, I think. Well, I don't know why, anyway, in the course of fermenting this stuff, you would drop leaflets saying, hello, it's me, kind of thing. Why would you do that? The theory, I suppose, here is they're trying to create chaos. That's what I think Danny is assuming, isn't it? I mean, it's his strategy, isn't it? Uh, this kind of uh, false flag dis- disinformation strategy. Using many sort of fronts, isn't it? I think in Russian asymmetric warfare, it uses this kind of stuff quite a lot, isn't it? Because GH says there are three stages to topple the government. One is isolation, paralysed transport. Two is chaos and terrorise the population. And then three is a coup d'etat, civil war, and collapse. Mm-hmm. So on that basis, I guess, yeah, they're tr- if they're trying to go for civil war and spreading misinformation about who's behind it, it's perhaps part of the plan, isn't it? Yeah. Paul, what happens next? The end of the movie, basically, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> sorry, how far are we through? Okay, what's, what's happened so far? <laughs> you want me to get, do another recap? Wait a minute. Okay, so, so the teeth have fallen out. Okay, Rose has gone missing. They've uh, gone, they've they've gone to get antibiotics. Her. Ruth and Amanda have faced off against loads of deer, acting like those lockdown goats did. You know, during lockdown, when all those goats came down from the mountain and wound up in yeah, that town. Yeah, that was strange, wasn't it? Is that what the deer are doing? It's just because there's no people around suddenly. I'm they? guessing so, yeah. Although, I think we're supposed to think that maybe something weird is happening with the animals because of potentially one or two of the, 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 the kind of weapons that do or don't exist in this scenario. I think it's supposed to be speculative, isn't it? This You're supposed to speculate about what could be causing it all. Well, we see, anyway, Ruth and Amanda still in the, in the woods trying to find Rose, mm. but they come to sort of a, a, an overlook where the trees are broken and they can see across the bay to the city. I guess it's New York we're looking at. And as we're doing that, we see a mushroom cloud rising over the city. I'm not sure it's supposed to be a nuclear device, mm. but it's certainly a big bomb, right? Because... Despite what people might think, mushroom clouds are not unique to nuclear bombs. So Danny has revealed that the neighbour to GH has got some sort of underground bunker. And Rose, who's still missing, actually finds it, doesn't she? Yeah, we see her bike outside this house, don't we? And she's gone inside. And Rose is rummaging through the house. And she eventually finds her way 
into the bunker and it's packed with stuff, isn't it? Generator, copious foods, computer system. And she finds a DVD collection. And in it, she finds a complete Friends collection, including season 10. So she can <laughs> settle down, as she has done, pop season 10 in and see the last one. And sit the war out, yeah. With the finale of Friends. So she'll finally know what happens to Ross and Rachel. Full disclosure, I must admit, I don't know what happens to Ross and Rachel in the final final episode of Friends. Do you Do you know, Paul? No. No. It doesn't matter, does it? It's the journey that's important. It's not whether they get together in the end. Yeah. Well, I think here it's acting as some sort of linchpin thought point about what use the whoever's behind this see the middle class of America as being, you know. Oh, right. I see. You think it's a class war type Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's not been organised by the general populace, has it? So What, the uprising? Hmm. No, because they were happy watching Friends forever, it would appear. Mm-hmm. Although it's a bit unfortunate that Rose has now finished Friends, isn't it? Because there's probably not going to be that much new television coming out. <laughs> it, it would be better if she had now all of Friends to look forward to instead of just finishing it. Which is something to bear in mind, isn't it, when you're binging on your TV shows? Perhaps keep something, keep something back for when the end of the world happens so that you've still got something to watch. And at the end of the film... Raising the film, for me, finishes with a great track at the end. Because on Netflix, Netflix asks if you want to skip the title sequence, doesn't it? So maybe you didn't hear the title music at the end. Mm, Can't remember. I'll put it on our playlist. It's called The Paradigm. It's by a guy called Lil Yachty, I think. It's a great great track. So, yeah, I think the Friends thing offers... How does it operate as a metaphor? Well, it's just... I mean, Friends is something that just kept everybody going... Why do we want to keep people going? So they could spend money. And now Friends has ended. There's no need to carry on anymore. And no need to have those people anymore. Yeah, so that's why they're being wiped out. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think we're supposed to throw this into the speculative fire, aren't we? But also there's a, an intense, an intensely sort of racial element to the whole thing, isn't there? Mm. This whole thing about the mistrust that the white family has for the, the black family. To be fair, <laughs> I mean, whether, the, whether this GH turns up black or white, I mean, you have grave doubts about it being his home anyway, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think that's that, I think that's why the humour is really quite effective. It, it's on a knife edge, isn't it? Would you? I, I think the whole point of the movie is that they're black and that they're they're being mistrusted because of that. I I think if they were white, you would be more inclined to believe them just naturally. Is that you don't feel that? Oh yeah, I think you would. But I'm not saying you would necessarily believe that the house belongs to them straight away. Even so, sure, it would be fair to ask, wouldn't it? I suppose. Although, uh, there again, I, I don't know, I can't imagine what kind of elaborate elaborate plan it would be to go to an Airbnb and pretend that you owned it. I mean, what, what would you gain out of that, generally speaking? You could just break in, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly, you just break into it. Why, why wouldn't you? You didn't need to break into it. Although Amanda thinks this guy is like a Wi-Fi security expert, he left, left the front door open, didn't he? I mean, it wasn't locked when they arrived, I don't think. Uh-huh. I think it's the kind of place you don't lock your doors. Wow. In any case, I, I, I liked how it was all engineered, This this the, the racial awkwardness generally. It was a really nice sort of driving point, wasn't it, for the dispute and kind of tensions within the, the emerging group. So, so yeah, I thought it was generally very well designed, a lot of the, the plot elements of this movie. And I also thought that the sort of cyber attack elements were relatively realistic. Ruth keeps talking about taking out power stations and what effects that would have. And obviously, taking out power stations, taking out water treatment plants, 
would be devastating for a, a developed country, right? And in these movies, usually the hero's really clear about what's happened, but I like the blindness surrounding all this here. They, they really yes. were in the dark, yeah. weren't they? So it was really well done. Yeah, and that's also very realistic, isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't know, would you? you How know. would you know? There'd be no way of knowing, because all of our modern telecommunication systems depend on so many technical elements being working together. I mean, they, they conclude that because GPS isn't working, the satellites must have been affected. Amanda doesn't seem to believe that that's credible. I think she's assuming that because they're in space, you can't easily get to them. But obviously, satellites are controlled from the ground. Mm. And GPS satellites are constantly being monitored, reprogrammed, their clocks and their ephemeris adjusted and stuff like that. So you could certainly, you could certainly adjust the satellite operation from computer hacking on the ground. Whether this is a realistic model for a civil war scenario, I'm not sure. If, if you're conducting a civil war, you don't really, surely, want to destroy the fundamental infrastructure of the nation that you're trying to, you're trying to take over, do you? Well, if, if, if you're an outside bad actor in, in, inciting civil war with another country, you don't care, really, I don't think. If you're an outside bad actor, yes. Yeah. You don't care. You just want civil war. I was it. assuming, though, that a civil war would be something from within. And I don't feel that this is an entirely hypothetical discussion in 2024. Mm. <laughs> if you're listening to this in the future, commiserations if, unfortunately, something about Donald Trump has made a massive civil war happen. Apologies to the 20% of our listeners who are in the US. Paul, should we score this film now before? So let's do acting, as it's usually the easier first one to do. Yeah, I thought Julie Roberts was great as this sort of menopausal, dry rag of a person. Oh my God. Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke, Paul, are looking old. And that means that we're looking old. Not that old, though. I thought Julie Roberts was looking really well for her age. Ethan Hawke and Kevin Bacon should do more work together. Because I thought they were great. As like two scraggy bearded baseball cap wearing guys. They should do some kind of buddy movie together. <laughs> this whole film felt a little bit like the pilot episode of a long running TV series about survival after after Armageddon. Did, did you get that feeling? Pace, you mean? Or... It's partly the pace. It's partly that it seems to stop, doesn't it? Just at a critical moment. Well, you know, when the bombs have dropped, when things are really heading up. It oh, stops. Oh, with you, yeah. Well, I think we're supposed to assume everybody but Rose dies. Is that okay? <laughs> I mean, her brother's no, dead. Uh, isn't, no, isn't no, it? no, so. I don't think so. Because I watched this for a second time. I watched this over Christmas oh, and wow. then I watched it again when you suggested we watch it. The second time, I noted that Danny, when, when they go to Danny's place, he tells them about the Thorns bunker. Yeah. And at that point, it seems like the Thorns bunker is like their salvation. If they find that, they'll be okay because it's got all that stuff in it. Well, Rose found it. Yeah, and the other thing is, Rose finds the Friends episode in it. So it is, that is the symbol, isn't it? It is their salvation. That They'll get the antibiotics. But it's the last episode, Richard. Yeah, they'll get the antibiotics for Archie. Rose finds the Friends episode she was looking for. There's food, there's everything in there. I think the fact that Rose finds the bunker is the happy ending of the film. But do you remember, Rose has wandered off way before this. She doesn't even know it's critical to find the bunker, does she? No, exactly. It's happenstance. It's a happy happy coincidence. So I don't think she's going to tell them for two or three days, by which time they'll be dead. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You can imagine whatever future you like. Surely, if this is a TV series, Rose is going to survive. Now we need to find somebody to mate with her so we can ensure the (laughs) continuance of the human race. It's going to be that kind of thing, isn't it? It's not the TV series I imagined, but sure, whatever story you want. (laughs) 
What would you have happening? You'd have them all surviving. And what else? Yeah, as a happy family, learning to get along. Amanda overcoming her prejudices. Archie maybe getting off with Ruth. I don't know. No, I, I'd really play out that symbolism. Once that video's watched, it's the end of friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 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 again, I was really impressed with Julia Roberts. She does that kind of slightly sort of dry rag that just needs to absorb a little bit of kindness and moisture so well. Like a woman who's come to the end of her professional career and just had enough with life. So I thought her weariness came through very well. And everybody else was great. So what did you give it, Rich? I get it an eight. Yeah, I tend to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go 8.5 on the acting here. So for plot, it is fresh. It's it's not the usual. Normally we'd be seeing explosions and buildings falling yeah. over and people fighting. We don't see any of that. We just see the the kind of social unrest, the mistrust that develops as people get more desperate. I mark it down for the things I don't quite believe. I don't quite understand why the animals are wandering around. That seems nonsense to me. I don't quite understand why the boat crashes and the planes are crashing. That doesn't seem quite right. Teslas are interesting. I'll give it a seven, I guess, for the plot. Yeah, I like the slow burn. Although I do feel that maybe it should have gone a little bit further. In terms of plot twists, we don't really have any plot twists, do we? We just have plot reveals. So like there's something weird and then later on, through a bit of our detective work and, and, and evidence we're presented with, we kind of work out what's going on. I like the way we're in the dark as the families are. Yeah. That we're learning with them. That's interesting. It's quite engaging that way. Like a reality TV show, isn't it? I don't think there are quite enough twists. I would have liked a twist, at least. A traditional twist. I'm not sure about the animals. I'm, I, I mean, we have to assume this is a hypothetical situation, don't we? That potentially, there could be this kind of effect on the animals, you know. Does it need to be explained for you, Richard? Or does it need to be explainable? Look, I'm sure a civil war would affect animal populations, but not in the first couple of hours, just when the only things have happened are GPS has been switched off and people's cell phones don't work. How does that affect the animals? It doesn't make any sense to me. And yeah. No, I don't believe animals are sensitive to EM radiation or magnetic fields to the degree that you're describing. Well, I, was just, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that's definite. I was just suggesting that's a possibility. I know. It's nonsense, though. Let's face it. In a film that seems to be grounded in reality in so many ways, that seems magical hoo-ha to me. Did you did you do plot there, Paul? Yeah, I'm not sure. So what else? Well, think about this, Richard. You know, the, the son is dying, yeah? Right. What's he died from? We don't know that. Okay, we don't know that, but it's, it's strongly suggested. <laughs> uh, and it's yeah, probably... teeth falling out is a bad sign, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably not from a tick, is it? Because that's not a typical symptom of ticks. So I think, therefore, there must be, as well as the electronic attack, there must be some sort of radi- radiative attack, whether it's electronic radiation or whether it's nuclear radiation. How come only he suffered from it? I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, I don't know. Exactly. See, it's, it's nonsense, Paul. Still, what's your score for plot? Okay, so there are some unexplained areas of it, but I kind of enjoyed that because I, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's trying to be an authentic or highly realistic portrayal, is it? Sure. So, for me, a seven on plot. Okay. How about special effects? Special effects, okay. The oil tanker running up on the beach. Was great. Dramatic, although I think it felt a little bit CGI, but maybe you just know that they couldn't do that for real. Not much else going on here, is there, really? The Tesla crash. Tesla crash was great, actually. Really enjoyable. And terrifying, actually. And the plane plummets. 
the plane. Not entirely convincing, if I'm honest. Uh-huh. I'm going to give it a seven for special effects. Okay, I'm going to give it a six, but I thought it was it was sufficient for purpose. Overall. Well, I think about this overall. I quite enjoyed it overall, actually. It certainly held my attention. I thought that its basic aim of trying to give us a sense of how disorientating it would have been to try and keep it together. Because at no point did the family really, either family really give up and go batshit crazy on each other, did they? It's not like Johnny's sure. home. So, but yeah. then we get a sense of the tension of trying to hold it all together. Yeah, that generally works. I, I think in the confusion of it all, we would have seen a lot more panic and a lot more kind of wretched despair. But yeah, I thought the whole premise generally worked. So for me, it's going to be a seven. I do like it. I enjoyed it. Julia Roberts and Kevin Bacon back again, I think for the first time since Flatliners, possibly. Right. It was good seeing the cast. For me, the end title music really sealed the deal. So I'm going to upscore it. It does still feel a little bit weird, like it's just the beginning of something, but equally not something I really want to see out. I don't want to watch another kind of Walking Dead series of trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. Why not? It's a bit tedious, isn't it? It's the same old stuff, isn't it? They've got to go to the... You know, you know how it goes. You've got to go to the pharmacy and raid all of the medicines that you're going to need. And Go on, no, I'll give it a seven. It's, it's decent. There we go. It's decent. So, yeah. Richard, I think it's your choice next week. There was another movie that got advertised on Netflix, I think, uh-huh. which I thought we should watch. This is a movie very similar, I think. I think it's been compared to Fall, the one where the two girls are stuck up the radio antenna. Right. But this one is set in the ocean, and it's called Nowhere. Okay. How do you feel about that, Paul? Let's do that. Well, I'm not giving you a choice. Let's go Nowhere. I believe you said we're not giving choices at the moment this year, so far. We're just dictating. So nowhere it will be. Well, you, you make the choice. There is a choice. It's just one that you make. You know, that's right. I see, I see, I see. Okay. So until the next time when we'll be watching Nowhere, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Do you join us next time, Chaff, and I'll see you the next one. Thank you.